Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Well, this, uh, this is awesome to see how many of you are here, so it's good to see all of you, especially if you're visiting St. Basil. Maybe this isn't your parish, and someone invited you or your friend. Just know you're always welcome here, so we're glad to have you. And if this is your parish, uh, welcome home again. So good to see you. A uh, big thank you, as, uh, as was already indicated, just everyone who puts this event on. It was about over a year ago now, Becky and Amy came to me and they said, we'd really like to do this big Bible study called Walking with Purpose. We think the women of the parish would love it. And I said, no. And I said, this is what you're going to start instead. I'd like you to start a women's ministry once a month. And I said, I want it to be social and fun, dipping in a little bit every time to how to live the faith with greater passion and fulfillment and joy but mainly community-based. And my thought was this, is as Catholics, it's hard to invite a coworker to the Mass, right? Because it's so ritualized and contextualized, and it's like, now here we're blessed, we have amazing music, but that's not always the case. You're like, no, we don't really go for the music, just pretend that didn't happen. And then like, you know, depending on the priest, you're like, I don't know, just listen, but wasn't it great? And you're like, ah. So we don't really want to invite people to Mass always, their coworkers or lapsed Catholic, it's awkward. So then we're left with like, I don't know what to... It's just like you go to church, oh, I love my faith community. Oh, really? And you're just kind of like, I'm not inviting you, though. <laughs> so to create a space where someone could be invited, where they could realize like, oh, we're all human. And then a subset of humanities discovered that, oh, in Jesus, we find meaning and fulfillment and hope to the deepest cries of our heart. And so we want to invite everyone to say, I know what you're looking for, and I know the one who can make sense of it. So big thank you to the team and the, uh, for them being flexible last year. So they got this going, and then now we're starting the Walking with Purpose 22 weeks. So uh, they proved themselves after that year. I said, now you can do the Bible study. You were good. No, I'm kidding. They could have done it. So it was good. Um, also, if you were ever a part of GOTS, could you please stand up? It was a ministry for many years. GOTS. Anyone that was ever a part of that participated, put it, put it on, anything, any way, shape, or form? Great. Awesome. So the reason I want you to stand, don't sit down right away. You have to keep standing. So those of you who aren't standing, you may or may not know or you heard of it, GOTS went on for a very long time. It's a beautiful ministry. It mainly was a breakfast with a speaker. It's called Gifts of the Spirit. Phyllis was running it with a couple other people for many years. And as time went on, they're very dedicated to the Holy Spirit, all these women were. But in many ways, they were a chapter of the history of St. Basil's. And now that chapter, the pen, has moved on to flourish. And so it's a beautiful thing. Gots is now rolled into Flourish, and now Flourish is this, meeting these needs at this time. And it's the way a parish works, healthy. A healthy parish says everything comes and goes and has a season, but it's done really well. It's run by God if when you pass the baton, it continues to be vibrant and engaging. So all the Gots ladies, you can look around and see, boy, you did it really well because the Holy Spirit used everything you were doing for all these years and continues to build on it. So a round of applause for everyone who's part of Gots. Thank you. All right, so I, have a, I, have a, I give a lot of talks. Many of you know that. I, I was just in Washington, D.C. last week. Uh, I flew out there on Thursday. I gave a talk to 300 college students at Catholic University of America. And then I flew back for the weekend masses. Pretty much I found a, a, a kind of shtick that works for me, which is this, is they ask for a title. Everyone wants a title. Father, what, do, what, should, what title should we put in there? And I try to come up with the most like generic title for me, because I really don't plan to talk till the day of. 
but then it's enticing enough for people who want to go. So Made for More was this title. So it's like, oh, engaging. We don't want to be mediocre. We want to be more. But I had no idea what I was going to talk about. So about three hours ago, we put it together, right? So, so I want to begin with this. What I want to do is I want to read a little scripture passage for us. And what I want to do is I want to read it twice because if you're anything like me, when you hear a pastor, you're like, oh, yeah, I heard that before. And you kind of check out. Missing out on the opportunity for God to actually speak something for your own heart. So I'll read it through twice, and then I'll give my talk. But it's interesting because when you and I think about what is the hope of God for you? Like, what does God want for you? A lot of times we're so drained by the question, what does God want from us? The notion that God would want something for us is kind of awkward for some of us. It can even be aggravating. Just tell me what to do, Lord, and I'll do it. And he's like, oh, good. Then just sit there and let me love you. And you're like, okay, but not that. <laughs> I'd rather not be vulnerable and receptive. I prefer a nice to-do list, and I could knock that out because then I could feel in control the whole time. That'd be wonderful. But the idea that God has a plan or a hope or a dream for your life, we sometimes forget that's the beginning that's the foremost good news. The good news is not you all are very busy. And by the way, because you're Catholic, there's also more you got to do. So you get to be even more busy now. And then, by the way, make sure you smile and sound so joyful and tell people how great it is, even though on the inside you're slowly dying. And so what we have to discover through tasting it, not just thinking about it, really experiencing it, is that Christ came to give you life. The most beautiful, compelling life there could ever be. This life was so attractive that there have been in 2,000 year tradition princesses who have left castles, uneducated women who have led wars, lay women who went to the Pope and told him what he should be doing and he's listened, theologians and poet women philosophers who have left academia to become contemplative nuns, that something happened in their lives. They saw the beauty and goodness of Christ and like, I, I, I'm moved. I want that. I want to be near that. I want that in me. I want to be like one with this life. And without that encounter, without that generating life that he comes to offer, you really aren't a Christian. You may be like, a, I don't know, like a Kiwanis person or a do-gooder. But Christianity, Pope Benedict said, is the result of an encounter with a person who gives life new hope and a new horizon. Think about that, like your horizon was here and now with Jesus, it's like so much more beautiful. And a new hope. Like that's worth spending a Thursday night when it was summer yesterday and winter today. <laughs> so let's just say a little prayer. I'm going to read this passage, and then I'll read it through a second time, and then I'll jump into the talk a little deeper. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, bless this room. Bless your daughters. Give them an experience of being safe in your love, of feeling honored by your fatherhood. And help us to hear these words, not just with our minds, but with our very bodies and our hearts. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You kind of have a sense of how long it is and some of the words. Now this time... Just see what moves you, what stands out for you that matters. So let's just notice it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Almighty God, you want to share your divinity with us. That us, your creatures, and baptized as your son and daughters, we might come to know the tender, joyful, beautiful love of the Trinity. And that we would participate in you intimately. All of this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like that passage is the vision of Christianity, and we so often think it's go out and be busy. Go serve, go do. And of course, there's a mission aspect. But the mission is meant to be doing all these good things with hearts that are filled with the fullness of God and that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And do you know what we do? We are not rooted and grounded in love, so we get busy and do try, try to do all these things so that we could be loved. We're not doing them out of hearts that are resting because we already know we're loved. We're trying to earn love, which isn't love. That's called a transaction. That's payment. But because we have inside of us, every one of us, insecurities, and that word gets used so flippantly, but like deep senses of, I don't feel secure in who I am as a gift. That's what it means to be secure. I am convinced I am an unrepeatable image of God and I am a gift and I am good. That's who each one of you is. That's your identity. But because that's kind of wobbly for all of us in this room and at different times we feel ups and downs about it, we end up staying really busy with good things because it can make us look good. Look how good I am because of all the good things I did. I must therefore be good, right? Please, like me, affirm me, validate me. 
And so Christianity becomes a bunch of people who are worried, am I good? Am I loved? Does the Lord actually delight in me? And so since we don't know and we're worried about what if he says no? Like if I ask that question when there's this long pause and he says no, I'm just going to stay busy then. And then what we do is we take that deep need and we put it on spouses. We take that deep need, we put it on friends. We take that deep need and we put it on parishes. Take that deep need, we put it on politics. Take that deep need and we put it on clothing. We take that deep need and we put it on what our Facebook page looks like. So that if other people aren't meeting this need, then we start to point fingers and demonize them. And we tell people, look how bad they were. And they, and they say, yeah, you're right. And then you feel connected to someone. Oh, good. See, someone likes me. And it's not freedom, it's enslavement. And what Jesus came to do was to set captives free. And we're all like, what are they? I'm free, I'm America. And it's this deep heart level sense of freedom. And it's scary because many of you here have counselors and you've had them for many, many years. And it's like, well, is it working? I don't know. How do you judge if it works? I don't know. <laughs> but it's because there's a deep part of you that makes no sense apart from Scripture, Jesus, and the church. Because you're not a random collection of molecules that just got put together and you happen to be alive at this time. You're willed by God. Each of you is a result of the thought of God. He wanted there to be a, craft, a Colleen. Was you, were you crafty Colleen? Crafty Colleen. Crafty Colleen. But he even says, you don't even have to be crafty. You're still my Colleen. Isn't that amazing? Like you could be, in this room, you could be the world's worst wife and mom. And Jesus is like, you're still mine. I love you a lot. Because that's not who you are. That's something you may struggle with. It's something you may not be good at right now. And so you are an unrepeatable image of God, his daughter who he loves a lot, who's struggling with being a mom or wife right now. But that's not who you are. But in a culture that defines us by what we believe, say, think, and do, we're summed up in all these things and we're all consciously and deeply aware that we are flawed, we're not perfect. So then we're like, ugh. And Christ constantly is drawing near to say, I really want to heal you from these deep things. I want to put you on the journey that leads towards transformation. Pope Benedict the 16th said, the word healing conveys the entire content of redemption. So Jesus came as the redeemer to redeem the world. Pope Benedict says, another way to say that is he came to heal you. Heal what? Your heart, <clears throat> that deep place in you. See, you and I have these hearts that John Paul II said they contain echoes of God's original plan for us in Eden, where we'd be flourishing. It was plush and beautiful. There was vulnerable and intimate love, joy and gratuitous goodness pouring out of every plant. It was in the air. It was so safe and so full of goodness, love, and grace that quite literally Adam and Eve could be naked because they were just honoring each other and revering each other as unrepeatable images of God. 
It was so beautiful. And John Paul II says, there's still echoes. There's a reflection of that deep within us. John Eldridge, the Protestant theologian, says, you have an Eden heart. An Eden heart. Here's what I mean. This is what it looks like in my life. Now, I'm a guy, and I've been doing this for, oh my gosh, 20 years now. This interior work, this interior journey of healing. Boy, when you say 20 years at something, you think you'd be better at it. But nonetheless, um, should be healed by now. Okay. So it always happens at night normally. I'll send a text message to a couple friends at night while I'm watching TV before I go to bed. And they don't respond back right away. In that gap of time, I internally like leave priesthood, move to a random cabin somewhere in the woods and just live alone because I think, oh, that's it. No one loves me. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't count. Over a text message. So this is the point, though. It's a text message. Externally, it's like, yeah, they're probably busy. Some of my friends are married. They're probably putting their kids down. Where they finally have a little alone time and they're not going to be around their phone. Good for them. That's the right choice. But the internal response is, what's the point? Doesn't matter. Who cares? No one's there for me. I'm totally alone. It's all going to end. And what you, and I used to be trained this way, but what you've been trained to do is say, that's stupid. That's dumb. That's ridiculous. You've been trained to be mean to your heart. You betray your own heart. Your heart's speaking to you, and you ignore it. That's stupid. That's dumb. I'm a grown-up. I can't be selfish. I can't have needs. I gotta, this is nuts. Come on. And yet, you'll notice there's reoccurring messages that come up from your heart. And they're usually not, you're so wonderful and lovable and good. And so... What's happening for me in these moments is a real longing and desire to be seen, known, and loved. It's the deepest desire of the human heart, St. Augustine said, is to be seen, known, and loved. Which means my desire for connection, when I send a text message and wanting to receive friendship and communion, that's my Eden heart. God made us for friendship and communion. I'm looking for that. It's coming out twisted. And then when it's not met because it's a need, it's the way we're created, it hurts. And when it hurts, all sorts of lies come up. What if someone knew this? Someone's, I'm going to sound so stupid and ridiculous. I can't have this. I have to be strong. I have to be smart. I have to be a grown-up. I have to be in charge of things. I'm a functional adult. I have a job and I help out of the family. There's no way I can feel these things. This is so ridiculous. If someone knew, I hear your confessions. We all know now. We're all in it. The only thing the Bible doesn't let us say is, I'm the worst person in the world, and I'm the only one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means you and everyone at your table have the same prayer at the foot of the cross. Lord, have mercy. No one here gets to be like in front of the cross, like, well, they definitely need it, Lord. <laughs> So when these things come up in our hearts, they can happen at a party, right? You're hanging out with your friends. Maybe it even happened tonight already for you. Someone said a comment, it was playful, and on the outside, you're like, ah, but inside, you're like, ugh. When it doesn't match 
we tend to just stuff it. But if you want to know the power of Jesus, that's the first move we need to surrender. Is instead of stuffing in the name of all sorts of shame, we need to become like God, who is kind and curious. St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, Did you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads to transformation? We say, no, we did not know that. We thought it was the shame or the fear of hell. I had no idea it was his kindness that would transform me. All of you are different ages and different generations and you have different Catholic formation. And there tends to be one pretty strong consistent. The Jesus you were taught most of the time, I don't know. It was a broken version of your grandparents or parents that passed it on to you, but it, it wasn't the living Jesus who is so kind, who just wants to be very gentle with you, and he's utterly patient. He is not in any rush to have you change and get your act together and fixed. Because he wants to spend time with you more than he wants to fix you. Because he wants to convey to you, you are not your problems. You are you and you're suffering from problems. And he can only do that by spending time with you. A couple of you were at morning mass this week for the Feast of St. Matthew on Wednesday, yesterday. And St. Matthew was this corrupt tax collector. right? He cooked the books so he could have a little bit more money in his pocket. Jews didn't like him. Romans didn't like him. And Jesus came into his life. And how did Jesus transform him? He said, follow me. Meaning, come be close to me. I want to share life with you. And then that night, Jesus is having dinner at his house. I want to have a meal with you. I want to be close to you. You matter to me. This awful guy. You matter to me. He's so kind. The other thing is, he's curious. God, throughout the scriptures, asks us questions. And if you think about that, that gets really hard to comprehend. Well, you're all-knowing. Couldn't we just speed this up and you just do the thing? And he goes, well, I'm not a modern American with a cell phone who's worried about efficiency. I'm love. And I don't know where you're at in your own season with the category of love, with your spouse or exes or deaths or divorce or whatever it may be, but... When you have a moment of great love, you tend, not want it, you tend to not want it to be rushed. You want to savor. You want to linger. Those are the speed of God. His almightiness is expressed precisely in the fact that he loves you for your sake. He's fine. He's not gaining anything. He just wants to love you because he created you lovable, desirable, Delightful. He enjoys you. And so he asks questions. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They have fallen from grace. They're now in the fall. And he says, Adam, where are you? It's not like he's like, I just put him here in the garden. Where did that guy go? He loves that hide and seek. 
No, he's trying to get Adam to reflect. Adam, notice where you are now, and I'm talking with you to draw you into communion, into relationship, into dialogue. Haggai's wandering in the desert, and God sends an angel, and the angel says to Haggai, where did you come from, and where are you going? In college campuses, we say, just nowadays, we say, tell me your story. That's what the angel said. (laughs) Prophet Isaiah says, what more could I have done for you? Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John are a question, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? He asks at the guy at the pool of Siloam, he says, do you want to be well? Blind Bartimaeus, he says, do you want, what do you want me to do for you? These questions are meant to illuminate and elicit, illuminate what our hearts are really seeking, recognizing we have Eden hearts, and Jesus doesn't want to shut down our hearts. He wants to draw them, elicit them into relationship with him. So as we share vulnerably, vulnerably, because he's kind, he might show you that your desires are really good. Not infallible, but indispensable. And that whether you've had an abortion, you've had 10 divorces, you've murdered someone, you've lied, you've cheated, you've gossiped, you're a slander, you don't go to church every week, Jesus says, none of that deters my love for you and the truth of who you are. You don't have that power. I created you. And Jesus came into the world to awaken that sense of who we are and then to draw us on the way. He says, I'm the way. So the way is a relationship. Then he says, I'm the truth, meaning there's so many lies about your heart and your identity. Let me show you the truth of who you are. And then he's the life. He's the kind of life we're seeking. Those Eden hearts are looking for God's original plan. Well, when God and humanity meet, like it was in the beginning, that's Jesus, true God and true man. So he says, come to me, and I'll be able to awaken and restore your hearts. You'll begin to taste the immense sacredness and dignity that you have. I kind of laugh because people in the pro-life movement are always talking about how life is sacred, and it absolutely is, and it's a good message to get out there, but then I find most people in the church don't recognize that they're actually sacred. So it's a weird message. It's like you may, some of you may tell your kids all the time, like, you're good and you're loved and God loves you so much. And then if you just took five minutes of silence, you'd be like, I don't believe it, but I hope they do. (laughs) And it's a generational wound because your mom or dad probably didn't believe it. But they were busy in church. And so the wound and fear and doubt got covered up by doing a lot of external goody things. I'm not good, but I can make myself good by doing good things, right? There's a big difference between being busy serving the poor and doing long hours of prayer and serving in a church out of a heart that's free. I know who I am. I know I'm loved. I know I'm a gift, and so I want to give myself as a gift to others. That's a heart that doesn't burn out. That's a heart that's full of joy. That's a person, a man or a woman, who continues to zeal, and everyone they meet will be full of life and joy and peace because they'll be around them. They'll just feel it. It's a different person. And then there's someone externally who may be even busier, but everyone there around, it's a drain. 
because they're doing these things ultimately for themselves. I hope this fills the void. I hope this finally works. And so one of the things we need to do is start to be seeing these moments, like my text message moment, or if you're at a party, these moments of your heart, start to see them as trailheads. What's a trailhead? A trailhead is if you're hiking, a trailhead is where the trail begins. And usually there's two options, but they lead you somewhere. These places, when our hearts get activated, it hurts, and we go, and we just shove it down, just get, and we cover it up with a, being the worker, or the funny person, or the smart person, or the encourager, but underneath we're just like, I just hope they look at that and not at what my heart's doing right now. To join Jesus and ask your heart some questions by being very kind. Why do I feel this way right now? Have I felt this way before? What am I looking for? Like if I could have anything right now that would help my heart be happy again, what would I love right now? What do I need? And then a deep prayer is, Jesus, where did this come from? Where is this reaction rooted in my story? Where's this from? As you begin to give Jesus time and space, you don't rush it. I want to share some with you some stories of people I've journeyed with, what they've noticed. So one person came to me and they were just kind of talking a lot about being on edge. And this was on a retreat that I was giving. And, and they just noticed their heart got really angry anytime they wanted something, uh, but it didn't work out for them. Right? First off, I had to let them know, like, that sounds like a wildly understandable response. <laughs> Um, that's what happens. But then uh, I got the sense that this is a pretty big, like reoccurring feeling in them. And so I said, let's just pray. And all we did was ask the question, Jesus, where is this rooted from? Where is this rooted in her story? And a memory popped up. She was like five or six. And she was in a bathroom, combing her hair in her mom's bathroom. And her mom came in and said, what are you doing in here? Get out of here. Give me my brush back. Get out of here. Go to your room. You have your own bathroom. Don't come to my room. And just, you know, you know this happens. When you're, you're, maybe, the mom was, maybe the mom was really broken woman, or maybe the mom just had a really long day, or maybe the mom just got in a fight with dad. I mean, there's all sorts of million reasons why. But as a kid, what she heard was, you're bad for enjoying things. That's what her heart heard, because she was loving it. Her mom's mirror and the comb and feeling beautiful and pretty and all. And then mom came in and didn't see her daughter's heart and reacted to, you're making a mess in my bathroom. And the daughter left then with this wound in her heart that said, I'm not allowed to have nice things. I can't enjoy good things. So now every time she wants something, she doesn't get it. This wound from when she was five is really the wound that's being triggered. This is the bruise that never got healed. And so the way the heart works is there's pain, and wherever there's pain, there's fear. Right? And wherever there's fear, we begin not to think the right way. They become lies. How do we know that? Well, no matter how old you are, if you get scared in the middle of the night, like someone may be in your house, we all believe the same rule, that if somehow our feet are under the covers, we'll be safe. <laughs> it's a dumb rule. If the guy broke in your house, he can also get you under your covers, okay? But that inch of cotton makes us feel very safe. Or silk or flannel, I don't know. Okay, great. So, so when we get afraid, we, don't, we get distorted. We don't see things in truth. We don't see it very clearly. So 
What happens here is this same little girl, because when we're little, we're just a heart. Kids are all heart. That's all they are. They just need love. They need attention. They need encouragement. They need reassurance. They need reconciled. They just, that's, just what, that's just what they are. And to the degree that their needs are met at a young age, they won't be that when we get older. We think it's the other way around. We think if we teach them to be self-sufficient as a young kid, then they'll be self-sufficient when they get older. No, those needs will just go underground and come out in weird ways. Kids need a lot of attention, time, and love. They are needy intrinsically. It's a beautiful thing. And all the physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, connection, touch, play, enjoyment, they need to know that they're a gift a lot because that's helping them being rooted and grounded in love so as they get older, they can be free. Okay, so this little girl, what she had in this traumatic moment happened to her was this huge wound, a wound of rejection and a wound of shame. All right, and then this created this great pain in her heart. And so the topic of enjoyment, desire, getting what you want, all those things had fear around it for her. And so because there was fear, she had this wrong conception of who she was and what life's about. And so if she's going to be transformed, if she's going to find peace, joy, and freedom, if she's going to be, as the scripture says, rooted and grounded in love, Jesus has to take her in the places where she doesn't know she's loved. He has to take her on the journey to the places where she wasn't blessed, honored, and cherished. So that now, through prayer and in her memory, she can begin to receive the transforming power of Jesus, who can take the darkest things and turn them into a beautiful light. And so this woman, uh, I checked back with her maybe a year later, I don't even know, and she began to talk about how that memory lost a lot of its sting as she continued to pray with it and asked Jesus, what are you saying? What do you want to show me? Um, she just felt like kind of the stress released from her body. She just kind of had new thoughts about that. Like, wow, that was a ridiculous response <laughs> from my mom. And she started to have love and care for the little five-year-old self. And in there, she began to taste the goodness that I am good. I'm allowed to want nice things. I'm allowed to enjoy good things. And when something doesn't happen, it still hurts. Like, uh, But it's not the same degree because she's free in that regard. When I started learning this, my first response was, who has time for all that? And, like, I know my life story. There's way too many memories. And... Then the, one of the gentlemen presenting said this, all of your memories have to be worked out before you get to heaven. Otherwise, you won't be in heaven. Because you can't have something imperfect in heaven. This is the transforming work of God. This is what the guaranteed promise he has in your life. I will be with you to help redeem you. I will be with you to transform you. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I came to give sight to the blind, liberty to captives, good news to the poor, a year of favor. I am with you. Unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom. He said over and over and over again, he's saying, this part of you, this place in your heart that is scary and overwhelming, I need to go there with you. Because if we don't start unlodging it and getting grace and tenderness and the indulgent, delightful, playful love of God in there, you will continue to believe 
false identities and values about yourself, and you won't be free. And so this is the journey of Christianity, really, is to reach out to love our neighbor. Remember how Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself? And a while ago I started realizing, oh, please don't do that because you're probably mean to yourself and then you're going to be really mean to your neighbor. We should probably say, love yourself like you pretend to love your neighbor. That'd be a lot better. But Jesus is just presuming, well, you know you're wonderful and good, right? So just treat other people like they're wonderful and good. Like, well, we don't. That first part, we probably should talk about Jesus. (laughs) Now I want you to dream with me for a minute. Imagine if, we'll just, we're here at St. Basil's. Imagine St. Basil's was a place in this world when people came on this campus, everyone knew how fragile hearts were. Imagine if St. Basil was a place where in this world, when people came on this campus, they came to church, we were hoping and desiring to bless each other with the look of Jesus that says, you're so good. Imagine here at St. Basil's, we talked about sin, not as evidence and proof that someone's bad, but as the symptom that I bet that person's really hurting. And if they're hurting, they probably need a lot of compassion and encouragement. What if the church, especially here at St. Basil, but the church worldwide, became that voice, that touch, and that vision in the world? We still have truth. We still, have, we still would need missionaries. We still need to be on the streets and in the highways and workplaces and everywhere proclaiming Jesus is Lord. But what that would mean would be he's Lord because he alone can set you free from everything you've suffered. And he wants to. This is why in early November I'm begging you, and if you're married, use any feminine trick. I give you full permission to get your husband there as well, uh, to the JP2 Healing Institute. Dr. Bob Schutz and Sister Miriam are on this journey. They're on this, there's only one journey. We're all on the same journey of brokenness. But they are, let's just say, very far down on the journey. And they are experts at this. They know how to take a large group of people on a Thursday night, a Friday night, and an all-day Saturday. And yes, Jesus and your healing is more important than sports and your jobs and being well-rested and the couple hundred bucks it may take for a babysitter. You won't regret it. They know how to take a large group and help you taste and experience this. And then they equip you because you get a workbook on how to walk this and how to begin journeying this way. So that that dream of what St. Basil's could be like actually becomes a reality because of what you'll allow God to do in you. Like we always think, God help this person, God help that person. Mary, immaculately conceived, the perfect woman ever, had no problem telling the whole world, the Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The good news to the world is, let me show you what he's done for me. So what does healing actually look like? This final thing, and then we'll take a little break, and then uh, we'll do question and answers. You can ask me anything you want. What does healing look like? Healing is nothing but intimate communion with God. Doesn't mean the pain goes away automatically. Doesn't mean everything's resolved. Doesn't mean you have all the answers. It means intimacy with God. 
There's places in your heart and in your story that have been walled off in an utter isolation. Not just simply no one knows about it, but it's also a place that you intentionally don't want anyone to be there. Healing is allowing Jesus to go back there. Jesus, I give you permission. Jesus, I give you permission. I give you permission. You are kind. You are tender. You even said a bruised reed you will not break, a smoldering wick you will not extinguish. You are careful, Jesus. And so I will not let my best friend in there. I will not let it because I don't know what they're going to be like. But Jesus, I'll let you in there as a start. And there's memories that we don't want to go to. And then you just tell them, I don't want to go there, Jesus. If that's the one you're bringing up for Jesus, I don't really want to go there right now. But I'm not going to say I'm not going to go there forever, just right now. He's like, okay, good. I'll ask tomorrow. And tomorrow morning, you're like, uh-uh. He's like, fine. Saturday it is. <laughs> and he'll just knock every day on your heart. With no pressure. He's not a God of pressure. He loves you. He's like, listen, for your sake, I want to go into that memory. But I, 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 I honor you. I won't coerce you. But I know that while you're waiting, you're hurting. And I love you. And so I'm going to keep asking because I don't want you to hurt. So St. John Paul II Healing Center, when they come here, dioceses all across the world are trying to get them. And it's like four to five years wait. And we have them coming here. Sister Miriam Heidland has been a friend of mine for seven years. I knew Dr. Bob Schutz since 2007. Um, so it's been a very, I've been very, very spoiled by God. And I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> So let me do this. Let me just end with a prayer, and then we'll just take a minute or two, and then I'll open up for question and answers, uh, and then we'll go from there. Is that okay? Right. And you can ask me about the talk. You can ask me about the person next to you, or you have a friend, right? Uh, uh, or we can, uh, or we can talk ask question about the parish. It can be anything. Um, and, but before the prayer, I just on, on behalf of a lot of your husbands, they thanked me. I got text messages that you were not with them while they're watching the Browns game. <laughs> I don't know what you do during Browns games because I'm not married, but I got a lot of text messages. So uh, just wait. It was a good thing. You got to hear the gospel and how much Jesus loves you, uh, and they got to be numbed out in front of a TV. So it was nice. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we ask for reassurance and encouragement, and I ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit a special way upon these women so that they would feel empowered and equipped to take the next steps, to allow these places in their hearts to become trailheads, journeys that take them all the way into the warm embrace of the Father, that they would hear and experience and see their own hearts, not as problems that need to be hidden, but as the pearl of great price that you sell everything for in order to own, to own in love, to own as a cherished gift. Through the intercession of St. Basil the Great, the Immaculate Heart of Mary and St. Joseph. May God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.